Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Good, beautiful Pacific Northwest morning to my fellow nerds. It's going to be a great episode today because we're taking a trip in the TARDIS to wherever the heck you want because we start our four-part series on Doctor Who. What you just heard was a mix of the first series opening sequence and the most recent rendition. Hasn't changed much, but definitely some differences, most notably the supporting sound effects from the title sequence. By the way, TARDIS stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space which is honestly a pretty great acronym. And boy howdy do we nerds just love acronyms. Except of course for the folks over at Sextuple A, that's Americans Against All Abbreviations and Acronyms, an organization which obviously doesn't understand the concept of irony. Or perhaps they do? Anyway, for this first of four parts, you'll get an overview of the various doctors, their companions, and their many foes throughout the years. Plus, you'll get to hear an interview I had with local comedian and Doctor Who fan, Danielle Porter. We met up before a mic she co-hosts with Maricha Halprich and Scott II at Growler's Tap Room, Wednesdays at 6.30 on 82nd in Southeast Portland. We'll get into a deep dive of the various sets of Doctors throughout the years over the next three upcoming episode parts. So for now, let's start off with an overview of the series at large and some of the familiar themes found throughout. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! This is a spoiler alert. If you aren't familiar with Doctor Who as a series, you do well to exterminate this radio transmission. I once listened to a compilation of all of the exterminate sound clips for about 30 seconds before I started bleeding from the ears. Uh, it was something like a 13 minute video, which goes to show how frequently they use the iconic slash annoying phrase. Here's a list of the Doctors in the years they were active, as well as their companions. We get into every Doctor's companions, because for the first few, there were like an abundance of them. Uh, so starting with K-9 and the fourth Doctor is where we'll pick up the companions. The first Doctor was played by William Hartnell from years 1963 to 1966. He had eight companions during this time. The second Doctor was played by Patrick Troughton from 1966 to 1969. He had seven companions. Up next, we have the third Doctor, John Pertwee. He was active from years 1970 to 1974 with six companions. Now we make it to Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, who I was first introduced to as a boy, uh, not through television, but through syndication. He was active through years 1974 to 1981. His companions feature K-9, Romana 1, Romana 2, Adric, Nyssa, and Tegan Javanka. Then we have Peter Davidson, the fifth Doctor, from 1981 to 1984, whose companions were Adric, Nyssa, and Tegan Javanka, Visler Turo, Chameleon, an artificial intelligence, and Perry Brown. Then we have Colin Baker from 1984 to 1986, the sixth Doctor, whose companions were Perry Brown and Melanie Bush. Crossing over from the sixth to the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, who was active from uh, 1987 to 1989, as well as a feature in 1996, uh, his companion was also Melanie Bush, also featured Ace. Paul McGann, who played the Eighth Doctor in a 1996 and 2013 feature, uh, did not have a listed companion. That brings us to The Great War and The War Doctor, played by John Hurt. Uh, this was a 50th anniversary episode, and although not technically classified as a doctor, uh, the War Doctor's origin is explained in the mini-episode, The Night of the Doctor, whereby the Eighth Doctor wishes to regenerate as a warrior as opposed to a doctor. This is confirmed when he regenerates as John Hurt, whose first words are, Doctor, no more. He then joins the Tenth and Eleventh Doctors in an attempt to stop the war on their home planet of Gallifrey. 
That brings us to the ninth doctor, Christopher Eccleston, who was active in 2005. His companions were Rose Tyler, Mickey Smith, and Jack Harkness. Uh, speaking of those three, they are all crossover uh, companions to David Tennant, the 10th Doctor. I would say arguably the most popular Doctor. Uh, his companions, as I said, were Rose Tyler, Mickey Smith, Jack Harkness, as well as Donna Noble, uh, and who sacrifices herself, and Martha Jones. Uh, that brings us to the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith, who was from the years 2010 to 2013, his companions were River Song, Amy Pond, Rory Williams, and Clara Oswin Oswald, uh, who was another crossover who makes it uh, as a companion with the 12th Doctor, P Peter Capaldi, uh, who was from 2013 to 2017. Uh, of course, with the very funny companion Nardole uh, and Bill Potts. That brings us to our current uh, Doctor. That's number 13, played by Jodie Whittaker. Uh, her companions are Graham O'Brien, Ryan Sinclair, Yasmin Khan, Captain Jack Harkness, bring him back, and Dan Lewis. It's interesting to note that the companion with the most recurring interactions with the Doctor is Alastair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Uh, the first story that he was featured in was The Web of Fear, uh, that aired in 1968. He was played by Nicholas Courtney, and he helped uh, Doctors 2, 3, 4, 5, and 7. It's also important to remember that at least seven companions were killed sacrificed themselves, or otherwise met an ill fate across a number of Doctors and story arcs. So even though it may seem awesome to travel with a Time Lord, just know that hopping into the TARDIS with them is risky business, to say the least. Here's a list of iconic villain appearances. The Guardian Online put together a list of the top 10 villains from the series, but here are a few of the more iconic specters from the Doctor Who universe. We're going to start off with The Master, uh, whose first appearance was in Terror of the Autons, uh, which aired in 1971. Uh, their home planet is, of course, Gallifrey, uh, and they're the Doctor's Moriarty, a renegade Time Lord who may be the hero's intellectual equal, but who is also his moral opposite. While the Doctor wants to explore the universe, the Master wants to own it. First played by Roger Delgado, he debuted in a 1971 episode called Terror of the Autons. Since then, he's been played by six different actors, his initial suave demeanor eventually collapsing into theoretical insanity when John Sim uh, took on the role between 2007 and 2010. It was a portrayal, according to Sim, that was inspired by a mix of the Joker from Batman and Tony Blair, former Prime Minister. Next up, we have the Daleks, whose first appearance was in an episode called The Daleks. Uh, I believe it was the first episode, and they come from the home planet Scarrow. Uh, what does hate look like? Matt Smith once asked as the doctor, his dick dastardly chin a quiver. It looks like a Dalek. Creator Terry Nation, who grew up during the Second World War, based the iconic Daleks on Nazi ideology, seeing the villains as the manifestation of hatred and conformity. Even the humanoid race, the Khalids, that we saw spawn the Daleks in the 1970s episode Genesis of the Daleks, were deliberately Nazi-like. So the Pepper Pot appearance of the Daleks may have become the stuff of parody over the years, but the ideas buried underneath that shell are no laughing matter. Speaking of the Khalids, we have to bring to light Davros, whose first appearance was in the episode Genesis of the Daleks in 1975. And as creator of the Daleks, he thought of himself as a god. Instead, Davros became a Dr. Frankenstein type, pathetically losing control of his catastrophic creations. As befits the Daleks' Nazi undertones, the sadistic scientist practiced eugenic experiments on his own Khalid people in pursuit of racial perfection, an obsession partly brought on by his own disability and disfigurement. After years of storylines involving death, betrayal, and Dalek civil war, it is said that Davros died leading his, quote, children in a time war against the Time Lords. He returned, however, in 2008 to be vanquished by Catherine Tate, playing the Doctor's assistant at the time. Next up, we have the Weeping Angels, uh, who have always personally scared the heck out of me. Their first appearance was in the episode Blink in 2007. Uh, coming from Unknown Origin, they are Stephen Moffat's greatest triumph. Embodying the writer's knack for psychological tricks, the Weeping Angels are statues that can only move when not being looked at, meaning that even with the slight flickering of a victim's eye, they can pounce. The Angels immediately became the stuff of legend when they first appeared in the 2007 episode Blink seen by many as the pinnacle of, quote, new who, to conjure a fear of blinking, because in those milliseconds of blindness, the killer statues could creep nearer and nearer, 
was an amazing achievement. In that episode, they terrorized a pre-fame Carrie Mulligan. And of course, we can't talk villains without bringing up the Cybermen. Uh, their first appearance was on an episode called The Tenth Planet in 1966. They come from the home planet Mondas. What does it mean to be human? And at what point do you cease to be one? These are the challenges at the non-existent heart of the Cybermen. Conceived in 1966 by scientist and science fiction writer Kit Pedler, an advisor to the program, on this occasion inspired by innovations in prosthetic surgery, his cyborg villains would go on to take two forms, the original 1960s Cybermen who came from the planet Mondas, and the shinier 2006 versions led by Roger Lloyd Pack for the dramatic return to the show in the David Tennant era. The following facts are from Fascinate.com. In 1966, the first Dr. William Hartnell's health problems forced him to leave the show. Not wanting the series to end with their star's departure, the showrunners came up with the idea that the Doctor could regenerate into a new face. This tactic allowed Doctor Who to stay on the air for decades. In the early years of Doctor Who, the BBC would commonly throw out episode tapes instead of archiving them. A total of 253 episodes were destroyed by the BBC, as the network considered them to be of no value. However, copies of these lost episodes have cropped up all over the world, including two serials recently discovered in Nigeria. Now, only 97 episodes are missing. Fourth Doctor Tom Baker's famous long, multicolored scarf was not intentionally created. Costume designer James Ackeson instructed a costume maker to knit a regular scarf, providing her with several balls of yarn as color options. She misunderstood the instructions and knitted all of the yarn she was given into one gigantic scarf. Both Ackeson and Baker liked the huge scarf and decided to keep it. Baker was sometimes asked to ramble off numbers for coordinates for the TARDIS. Unbeknownst to everyone else, though, he would often recite the phone number for the Doctor Who production office. When Paramount Pictures considered making a Doctor Who movie, their first choice for Doctor was Michael Jackson. Their backup for the role was Bill Cosby. Glad that didn't happen. The spin-off Rose Tyler Earth Defense almost happened, but died in development. Billy Piper had no interest in reprising her role, and showrunner Russell T. Davies thought it would make the Doctor's goodbye to Rose meaningless. In the second Doctor, Patrick Thruton's final episode, The War Games, he and his companions were instructed to stand close to an explosion. When they were unsure, an explosive expert with a scarred face and missing fingers was sent to tell them not to worry about the detonation. Thurton was not convinced and wanted to see the detonation first. Turns out, he was right. When the explosion was set off, a large boulder flew out to the exact spot where the actors had been placed. When Doctor Who returned to television in 2005, Producers thought the references to the show's past would alienate a new fan base, so the first season was purposefully kept small in scope. The Doctor did not even travel to a planet other than Earth until Season 2. When Peter Capaldi took over as the 12th Doctor, he insisted that there would be no romance between the Doctor and his companions. This made the dynamic similar to the original run of the show. Fifth Doctor Peter Davidson claimed the producer would not even allow the Doctor to put his arms around a female companion, for fear that the audience would read something romantic into it. When Doctor Who was first created, it was intended as a children's education series, teaching little ones about science and history. The show has evolved in many ways since then, but the Doctor continues to love children and retain a young audience. Tom Baker suggested the possibility of a female Doctor in 1980 when he announced his departure from the role, wishing the next Doctor the best, quote, whoever he or she may be. When the series struggled with ratings in the 1980s, BBC executive Sidney Newman also proposed the idea of a Time Lady. In 2017, the possibility was finally realized when Jodie Whittaker was cast as the 13th Doctor. Showrunner Stephen Moffat objected to Matt Smith's desire for the 11th Doctor to wear a bow tie. Fortunately for Eleven, Smith eventually got his way. It was also fortunate for bow tie retailers because Eleven inspired a surge in bow tie sales. It seems bow ties are cool, after all. In the show's early days, episodes were recorded as in a single take. If anyone messed up, like I just did, the actors had to step in and get the script back on track. 
Christopher Eccleston, wanted to play a grittier doctor to contrast the rather posh former incarnations of the character. He chose a leather jacket and kept his northern accent to give a different impression. In the episode Planet of Fire, Nicola Bryant had a scene where her character was drowning. During filming, a nearby German nudist thought she was actually drowning and tried to save her. When he found his efforts were for nothing, he then tried to ruin the filming by running through the background completely naked. Leave it to the Germans. The episode Fires of Pompeii featured two Doctor Who stars in minor roles. Karen Gillian, the future Amy Pond, played the soothsayer. Peter Capaldi, the future 12th Doctor, played Cassilius, the Roman whose family the 10th Doctor saves. In the 12th Doctor's first episode, he looks in a mirror and says he's seen that face before, referring to Capaldi's previous role on the show. Ridley Scott, future director of classic sci-fi movies Alien and Blade Runner, worked for BBC in the 1960s. He was a designer assigned to early episodes of Doctor Who, including one that introduced the Daleks. However, before the episode went into production, he left to start work as a director, and Raymond Cusick stepped in instead. The episode Invasion of the Dinosaurs featured the futuristic and versatile hover car, the Who-mobile, the Doctor's other vehicle beside the TARDIS. Third Doctor John Pertwee personally commissioned the vehicle and supervised its design. As he departed the series, the car remained in his personal collection. The only downside, Pertwee admitted, was that he was pulled over by the police many times, and it frequently caused a distraction when he drove it on the road. The Chinese government banned Doctor Who along with any other television shows or movie about time travel. Government officials do not want to promote rewriting history, which the Doctor has been prone to do. Colin Baker hated the colorful patchwork costume in his Sixth Doctor rendition. He wanted an outfit similar to Christopher Eccleston's later costume. Baker referred to his costume's design as an explosion in a rainbow factory. The Fifth Doctor, Peter Davidson's daughter, Georgia Moffat played the Doctor's daughter in the episode, The Doctor's Daughter. Say all of that five times fast. Opposite the Tenth Doctor, David Tennant. Tennant and Moffat later got married, making her the Doctor's wife, the Doctor's real daughter, and the Doctor's fictional daughter. The sound effect of the TARDIS materializing as the sound of house keys scraped along piano wire, then played backwards, just in case anyone wanted to engineer their own TARDIS sounds. Doctor Who has inspired several novelty songs and albums during its run on television, including the chart-toppin' Doctor in the TARDIS and the beloved I'm Gonna Spend My Christmas with a Dalek. The third Doctor, John Pertwee, had trouble remembering the text speak the Doctor would often use, so the crew hid cue cards on the set to aid him. He also liked saying, reverse the polarity, which writers often worked into his techno babble. The episode The Twin Dilemma is considered a famously bad episode. In the episode, the newly regenerated Sixth Doctor has paranoid mood swings. Scriptwriter Anthony Stephen took a long time to write the script for the episode, making increasingly bizarre excuses, including that his typewriter literally exploded while writing the episode. The name The Doctor is a paradox. The Doctor supposedly inspired the word doc and its meaning as a healer through his own adventures, but he also claimed he chose the name because of its meaning as a healer. Repeat after me. Wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey. Hugh Grant was considered for the role of the Doctor when the show returned in 2005, but he rejected the part. He didn't think the show would be successful, but he later regretted his decision when he saw the show's massive success. Twelfth Doctor Peter Capaldi was a huge fan of Doctor Who during his youth. He created and published fan art, and he constantly sent letters to the BBC asking for production photos. He also desperately wanted to be named president of the fan club. New Who showrunner Russell T. Davies asked beloved author J.K. Rowling to write for the series in 2005, but she was too busy being a transphobe and trying to write uh, her own finish for the mega-hit series Harry Potter. Rowling has yet to join the Who crew, but who knows. When Doctor Who returned to television in 2005, the episode tapes were given a code name to prevent the tapes from being stolen and the episode contents leaked. All Doctor Who tapes were labeled with the anagram Torchwood. Davies liked the anagram so much he chose it as the name for Captain Jack in the spinoff. 
Disappointed he would not have his part in the 50th anniversary special, 5th Dr. Peter Davidson made a webisode of former doctors Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Davidson himself trying to sneak onto the set of the episode. Davies refused to hire writers who had worked for the original series or any other rendition for the actual new series reboot in 2005. The production crew had many difficulties operating canine. The cameras interfered with the remote control signal, making it difficult to control. Verity Lambert, one of the founding producers on Doctor Who, was also the first female producer in BBC's history. She was also the youngest drama producer at the BBC when, the, when she was hired for the Doctor Who show. Everyone knows that the Doctor's time machine, the TARDIS, is shaped like a regular blue police box. But did you know that the only reason that it looks that way is because of a broken chameleon circuit, the part of the TARDIS that allows it to blend in with its environment? However, the Sixth Doctor briefly managed to fix it in the episode Attack of the Cybermen. Unfortunately, the Doctor was not impressed with the TARDIS's out-of-practice results, and it caused some navigation issues. The blue box quickly returned as the TARDIS's usual form. Although the Daleks became an instant hit after they were introduced, BBC executives thought little of the iconic villains. Head of drama Sidney Newman considered them merely bug-eyed monsters and got angry with producer Verity Lambert for bringing them into the show. Network executive Donald Wilson thought the first Dalek script was one of the worst things he had ever read, and he insisted the story could not air. There was no story to replace it, however, so the Daleks went on as planned. That brings us to an interview I had with Danielle Porter at Growler's Tap Room on 82nd, before the comedy open mics she hosts there on Wednesdays. Sign-ups at 6.30. We had a chance to sit down and talk doc. Should. It, the people should hear about him. His, his name is Neil Catrick Harris. Uh, he's, he is, and by the time this airs, was a good boy. Um, I do feel like Neil Patrick Harris would want to honor your cat. That just seems like something he would do, right? It, it is, that's a definite MPH move. Yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. For sure. Well, for those of you unfamiliar with the other voice in this interview, that's Daniel Porter. Hello. Hi. How's it going? And let's get over the weird thing with your name now, because uh, it's Daniel, but there's no I. Yes, you also spelled it wrong when you posted it on Facebook. You're kidding. No. Did I put the I in there? You did. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and that's okay. I'll take that out of there. Um, yes, that's the spelling is D-A-N-E-L-L-E. And, and what's your uh, what, what's your Instagram? My Instagram handle is making you laugh underscore maybe. That maybe is a, is is vital. Yeah, I I, I don't want to put making you laugh because it's like that mm. that means I'm really sure that I can make you laugh and I'm not I'm not there in my comedy career. Yet. I was I was going the other way with it like <laughs> I am making you laugh. There's there's no way that like. If you don't, we're going to have problems. Oh, see, I'm just, like, uh, very cynical and a pessimist. So I'm like, I might make you laugh or I might make you just cry. So who knows? Hence the, hence the maybe. Yes. Hopefully it's crying from laughter. That's the goal. Anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. the goal. That is the goal. Well, we're, we're here at uh, Growler's Tap Room on 82nd. Um, at the mic that you host along yes. with... Uh, I always butcher her name, Maritza Hopridge, yeah. and uh, Scott the Second as well. We mm. we do a little three parter. Scott the Second, he, he, is he a clone of Scott the First? And I, do you have a Scott the Third ready in case something happens to no, Scott we, the Second? Not quite yet, okay. but like maybe, in maybe we can get something down the line. Yeah. Well, much like how you know there is just one Time Lord, mm-hmm. and they re constitute or reincarnate into yeah. a new doctor uh yeah. there will be a new scott the third rising from the sure. temporal ashes but like it, a glorious it, phoenix it also doesn't sound super great for a white woman to create a black man no that's a clown so. no no that's fair that that is fair um because that that's uh that's how you make the history books in the wrong way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but we we are here to talk about Doctor Who. Yes. Um, which is uh, it's it's such an overarching. It, it's fifty plus. It's I, I don't remember exactly what year it it is in. 
I think they're on their 13th or 14th doctor. Yeah, 13th. And um, the doctor is female. Mm-hmm. And then I think I, I was just reading on one of the fan groups that she's leaving the show. So they're going to have to either finally end it or get another doctor up in there. But like, I'm sure they'll get another doctor in there. They've broken the rules so many times at this point. It, it, it'll be a never-ending series. Uh, if, if they relied on any sort of rules regarding the story arcs, I don't think it would have made it very far as a series to begin with. Well, it started out as like a very educational show, mm. and then it completely like went more science fiction and like just altered everything that like. Yeah, that's that's too true. Like I'm yeah. looking at the first doctor's name is William Hartnell, and mm-hmm. he he looks like a an old timey professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a, he was kind of a dick. He was like that. I remember for sure. One of the meanest sure. doctors, I believe. Yeah, that that I would say is for sure. Yeah. Um, the one that I was uh, first involved with was Tom Baker because my dad was like a huge mm-hmm. Doctor Who fan and a fan of The Who. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to find himself. He's like, I don't know who I am, but I all I do know it's is... It's somewhere in science fiction, for sure. Yeah, his favorite board game is Guess Who. That was one of my favorites as a kid, too. I it is. A it's a fun it. one. It's a fun one. It's a process of elimination, so eventually kind of you racist, are going to win. Like it's, it could be. It could have been a lot worse. I, I suppose it could have been. It's just all based on looks, which is such a weird way to play a game with children. It's You're not like when you say habits. it's not like when you say does your guy have a mustache and all the guys that have mustaches look like skeevy <laughs> foreigners. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. You're like yeah, he's French for sure. But yeah, no. So like, uh, it, it, I've always seen it as like this psychedelic trip kind of thing, mm. and like I've always I, I love how with the CGI advancements over time, like yeah. you can de- and you can see that in the Star Trek series or any sci-fi series. Oh, it's like overarching over the like, yeah, the the original Lost in Space series that went on television, and now the new one that's like mm-hmm. has all the hyper crazy CGI and what have you. And like, just seeing anything from the '90s to like now, right. the CGI is so. Bad. It's just so yeah. bad. Well, or or even aging makeup. You yeah, know, like yeah. they they would try to age people thirty yeah. years and then like they're yeah. actually still alive thirty years later and look way better. Yeah. Um, so what what was your first exposure to Doctor Who? Um. So my sister and her husband. Um, I, I moved in with them right after graduating high school. I'm like, I mean, the next day <laughs> we drove out here. But uh, they got they were really into Doctor Who at the time, and okay. so I, they introduced me to the I want to say the Ninth Doctor. Um, I think that's David Tennant. No, I thought that Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, Chris, yeah, I just never can say his name right, so I don't want to butcher it. But um, yeah, so we. I think they were also watching David Tennant, and, like, I was watching that with them, and I was, like, getting kind of into it, but, like, didn't really know, and then they were like, let's watch the, the first season of the new series, and so yeah. we started watching that, and I got, like, very invested in Doctor Who very quickly, and, yeah. like, for maybe, like, a good, I don't know, four weeks, was just on a Doctor Who bender. Well, so, and the 10th Doctor's series is, like... He's that's the one that I remember the most, mm-hmm. you know, like for sure. And was I would say my first real exposure, like just watching it, binge watching it, yeah. you know, because like, I would see <clears throat> VHS episodes, or uh, yeah, they would have right. an episode per VHS, mm-hmm. and you would have to wait weeks for it in the mail, and it, it may not come. In fact, my father had an episode on Laserdisc, okay, yeah, wow, that's the Tom Baker stuff, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried to like. When I started watching the new series, I was like, well, I do want to see what the original Doctors were like. And so I started um, just, like, Googling it, trying to find it online. And I found, like, I found it on, like, Vimeo and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was watching it there. And so, like, I watched, like, the first 15 episodes of the first season on it and just, like, kind of got to know him. But, like, it was kind of boring. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it, it, there are definitely some skip me episodes. Yeah. Um, but it, I would say like just the the way that they bring back in classical villains sometimes, or you know, villains that you think are defeated, and it's like bum bum bum. Yeah. It's like oh my god, this is great so television. Many yeah. Like it's just an endless supply. It's like 
Yeah. What are you doing with your life? Right. You're making this money anyway. It's a big. It's a big multiverse. Yeah. It's a big. There's a. You know. There's. A, there's a lot of uh, instances throughout time. There's also multiple spinoffs of the show. Like there was Sarah Jane. She got her own show. Oh, and then like there's Torchwood, which was uh, Captain Jack, something. He like also got like his own spinoff. I didn't like, know that. Yeah. So it's like. It's gone past specifically just Doctor Who, but sure. Well, and I mean, that there's uh, there's so much to choose from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I would say that if you were at a Comic Con, you'd be hard pressed to see like the first Doctor, and people would be like, "Oh shit, it's because sure. it, you know it's like uh, not only is it hard to find those episodes outside of a mm-hmm. streaming service, like in any sort of continuity, but like and we were talking about this with uh, about Futurama, where mm-hmm. you know. Like, Episode season X episode Y you yeah. know part one of three and then you yeah. don't far, find part two but yeah. part three is available. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's also like old English television is like Monty Python but not good. Yeah, and most of Monty Python is not good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I re I rewatched um, uh, the Quest of the Holy Grail which I like watched really young as a kid and I was like. They should not have let me watch this. <laughs> like, this yeah. is not I, I, suitable for children at all. My parents let me watch Porky's when I was, like, a boy. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, what's all this stuff? This is interesting. Sorry, it's a good thing my father is in another country and my mother's dead. That might get, <laughs> that might get them in trouble. <laughs> well, they're elsewhere. It's yeah, they're, fine. El- they're elsewhere in spirit and otherwise. Also, you're a full grown adult now. You're I fine. Am. That's true. Well, I don't know if I'm fine, but I'm reasonably you're doing well adjusted. Than some. I'm doing better than some. That's so yeah. statistically true. There you go. That's a very measured statistics based com- <laughs> compliment. Uh, hey, I comment. would say I'm it's doing better than some as well here. So. That's so true. Yeah. That's why we do comedy. Man. <laughs> wow, laying down some serious truths. Um, this almost feels like a softballed question. Not that, mm. not to say that it's hard to hit a softball sometimes. So we'll see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch it right down the line. I would love a TARDIS. I want a TARDIS. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like it's it's bigger on the inside than yeah. it is on the outside. It runs on some it's sort got of ambiguity. Rooms. It, at yeah. one point, there's a library, a pool. Like, come on. Of course, I'm yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. a TARDIS. Yeah. It's like I I have I I do kind of have this theory that. You know, okay, because David Tennant was in the fourth Harry Potter movie, mm-hmm. and I just, in my head, I great. He played it great. He did a great, a great job with that. Yeah. Yeah, and and in my head, it's like, what if, you know, Time Lords are just wizards, mm. and like David Tennant is still the Doctor, but mm. like this is him and like crossover conspiracy time. This is folks. just like in his like. Make sure I didn't bring my bad time, you know, like when he like went really dark. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. 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 Like, like he, he has, like, a break from reality yeah, and yeah. ends up in possession somehow of, like, the TARDIS yeah. and becomes a Time Lord. Yeah. But And then when he leaves, ultimately, he's like, I have to go now. Yeah. And he's, like, <laughs> and he, and he wakes up and he's, jail. like, a Death Eater again. And, like, yeah. his, his... Well, because, you know, like, you walk into this tent and, like, it's a under. giant space. So it's, like, it's, right. it's in the realm of possibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's yeah. in the realm of possibility. Ooh, okay, so there's... This is more than just coincidence. There's yeah. potential evidence. Yeah, exactly. So and does that, so does that mean... They're both British. Both British. I would, uh, you know, it, it's too bad that J.K. Rowling right, rightfully got canceled. Yeah. Um, although I don't know. I, see, it's it's like do you, you know, it's like seeing the forest for the trees. You know, like do you sure. do you stop enjoying Harry Potter because J.K. Rowling's a horrible person, or do you just enjoy it for what it is outside of like attachment well, to her as a person? I think that's one of those things that it's been like a, a conversation with a lot of fans, and where they're like, we don't respect J.K. Rowling, but we respect this world she created and so yeah. like well we don't want to give tribute to her we do believe in like this must have been a hard day for all those people who have like horcrux tattoos and shit oh yeah well I saw somebody <laughs> last night who had like the the triangle yeah the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the brothers or whatever I can't think of it half-blood the... prince deal or no 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 it's like the the, the last book with like the the, th- the, the stone the might. wand and the the cloak right yeah, I can't yeah, the symbol with the triangle, yeah, yeah, the circle, yeah. I and, saw the, and the doohickles. I last night and had yeah. that on their finger, and I was yeah, just yeah. like, I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, JK. <laughs> there you go. Darling. I would be afraid that I would just get far too drunk and, mm-hmm. and be that mad person walking around some British town. Sure. Uh, 
opening every police box like <laughs> shit <laughs> no that's not it either god damn it also uh, weird you know I have to say it now it's like a weird choice to have it be a police box in 2021 like it's in 20 yeah it's a weird choice still yeah do you, well so have I, I, have, I haven't seen it. the new one they haven't really changed it is it I don't think they've ever changed it it's so iconic people have that tattooed on their bodies that's pretty BA yeah I have a coexist sticker where the eye is a is the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that it's it it is one of those things where it's like, what do you change? What do you keep the same? Yeah. Because, like, you know, obviously the Doctor changes, the companions change. Right. So, like, what, like, and like they joke about like how it's like it's stuck on this, but like there there's like a specific episode with Peter Capaldi and um, Clara where it's like she is um, she sells her own TARDIS and it looks completely different so it's like you could change the TARDIS like you could figure out how to fix that oh well, well there's a I, the storylines are rife with offshoots tangents yeah. Yeah. alternate potentials and reality yeah. like I mean you know they're, they're, so I that's why I think that the television entity that is Doctor Who mm-hmm. will persist regardless yeah. of what you like I, I don't think they would ever end it because the potential is so far reaching sure. but like you know you could even go so far as to say that like yes the TARDIS may look on the outside like a mm-hmm. 50s box but that's just maybe we're looking at it through the eyes of the Doctor and that's what they just sure. want it to look like and to everybody mm-hmm. else it, you know, it look looks like because like, like the TARDIS can like change language and stuff like that mm-hmm. so that is also what is it run? I, I forget. Like, I, and I've tried looking at this. There's a number of answers. What does it run on? What makes the what makes the TARDIS run? Because I don't. Is it love? <laughs> is it, is yeah, that wishful I, thinking? Is I it does it run like on wishful it, thinking? <laughs> I feel it like runs on time or something. Like it's sure. like some enigma in itself. It exists despite despite itself. Like so, yeah. like it, it. So and that that brings in like kind of another theme of the show that really gets delved into after like the the time war, like mm-hmm. the Great War, or what have you. Yeah. Which is this cyclical thing that like much like a phoenix, there will always be a doctor. Like, sure. You know, like, even though there are disruptions in timelines, that sure. the timeline will always persist, mm-hmm. and whatever you know, like even it, even though the circumstances may change the. Mm-hmm. Uh, existence and, and nature of that existence is sure. persistent throughout that yeah well and I'd also say that like the way I, I mean especially with the 50th anniversary like the way they set that up it's mm. like there's a there's like a still painting and in it is a specific moment in time frozen in time mm. and that everything is happening in that moment over and over again and so it's like it's like that thing, you know. It's the same thing with Futurama, where it's like that thing happens no matter what. So it's like yeah. it's like cyclical in that way, and like it, it's a continuous thing where it's like in that moment it is still happening no matter what part of time you're in. That specific mem- that specific moment is still happening. It's just if you go back in time, it's happening there, and like when you're in your own time whatever you're doing is happening like this conversation is probably happening over and over again right in in necessity of perpetuation mm-hmm. yeah and, and and you know it's it's funny that you mentioned the whole like offshoot thing because so long as that offshoot plays into the like the, that overall framed yeah. photo if you will like of any snapshot in time yeah. then you can start messing around with temporal mechanics mm-hmm. writing wise and that's where you know some people get in trouble you have like a an inception situation where people are like ah. yeah and then you have like a star trek situations where it's like yeah save the whales i don't know well but, I, mean, I mean like you could even say with like bill and Ted's sure. excellent adventure like it that's was excellent the, that's the only what like you know like the way they're able to go back in time and like collect every fuck up they made like mm-hmm. because they know it's that's still happening mm. so they're just able to go back to pinhead those moments and like there's a lot of time machine movies where like they don't get it right because of that. Oh, so definitely. Like, yeah, or or Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that they potentially got right is when he's looking at the photograph and, and his family members are fading away, mm-hmm. just like you know, like escaping that reality strain yeah. of yeah. you know like temporal strain. And um, yeah, we were talking about this uh, again to bring up Futurama, mm-hmm. talking about temporal mechanics like that. You can only move forward 
and by moving forward you go past that like you're just in a you know on a never-ending cycle well and doctor who does that too like you see that oh, definitely yeah. with matt smith a lot in his seasons because it's like that specific storyline where it's like river song is you know I, I don't know if I'm getting enough spoilers here. But no, like, well, I gave a spoiler alert already. Cool. Yeah, there's so a spoiler alert out. So it's like River Song, you know, how, like, she, she ta- like, you know, like, she is also a time lord, so she's able mm. to, like, manipulate her being, and so she starts out as a little girl, and, like, Nixon before Watergate and everything, and, like, then she, like, grows up, becomes friends with, like, Rory and Amy and like it's that because that's like a whole timeline itself because it's like this is the timeline of River Song but like at the same time like the doctor is hanging out with like Donna or hanging out with you know any companion right yeah, yeah exactly just, yeah and like you even see this what, with, has, has there been a crossover companion yeah yeah well there was yeah, Donna was it L, and it was Martha they like they all like hung out like David Tennant like his stuff with him Jack Hark I think is it? Captain Jack I think is what it, what they called him but like with him and then there was Donna and Donna's grandfather and then there was Martha and it was like they all like they all crossed over together and Rose like there and Rose and Rose like it was like a whole and then like they made a second doctor who like could love Rose like and that was in a storyline as well. Like it, like it just gets so weird. It's so, it's so neat. It's yeah. so, it's so British. Like have to bring the yeah, you gotta closure, bring everybody closure back to together. the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's what they did. Is they summed up David Tennant's character so well in that way. And then mm. they were able to introduce Matt Smith's character and start the whole thing with like Amy and River and and like you see that with. I was Bane. a little resentment at that transition because mm-hmm. I was so invested in David Tennant. Yeah. As an, as a, well, I think he wanted to leave the show, is that, and that's why they... He's not allowed to, though. <laughs> well, he came back in the 50th, for like, a little bit. More more bad news about Neil, folks. Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> <laughs> we can't afford to save our son's life, so that's... that's <laughs> yeah, that's why I wish I had a TARDIS. Hey, you could just stick him in there. And then he can just travel to all the important times where cats were most revered. That's true. I mean, also because like he's in Egypt. the because he's in the TARDIS. Like yeah. if you t- if you take him away from that specific moment, he might be able to like live longer. Yeah. And then like go yeah. on and die after that, you know. <laughs> Neil is forever. Um, he will he will exist throughout time and space. Um, because he's such a good boy. Do Do you have a least favorite doctor? Um, or one that you just kind of because we uh, the first four or five perhaps are not. I think I just like didn't really like the first, the original doctor honestly because I just didn't like his gruffness. I guess um, I. It, I don't know, there was just, like, some quality in him where I was like, I don't really feel like I need to watch him. Yeah. But, I, I mean, like, I watched, like, when they did the 50th, they did, like, this, like, uh, live adaption of the man who played him, and they had the dude who played um, the magical janitor in Harry Potter. Um, he, like, that actor played him, and, like, it was, like, how he, like, he loved playing the doctor. He loved that children loved him being the doctor. And then one day they did, they were like, "We need a new doctor. We need new companions." And like they like were told him he was no longer going to be on the show. Hmm. Yeah, because there are some like if you were to put a gun to my head, like I I wouldn't be able to tell you much about the sixth doctor. Right. His name is Colin Baker. Right. And I like I think I've watched looks like, like the Joker, or like Jack Nicholson's Joker kind of. Like I watched like one or two episodes because at the time Netflix did have a couple Doctor Who early Doctor Who episodes, but it was like it was missing a lot of stuff and it, it just like you, you know one that I do want to watch though actually. Mm-hmm. This one looks kind of neat. It's um they talk about the gods of Ragnarok. That's mm-hmm. kind of neat. Um but is Sylvester McCoy the seventh doctor. Look look at him. he's got like a who was the guy oh, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with the, the uh, 
question mark suit who used Riddler. to sell no no, no well the Riddler <laughs> but he would sell tech Tax secrets. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah t- there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a joint podcast yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, now the the podcast has now reached the rest of the room. No, he taught um, people how to scam legally. Is what he did. That's why I love that man. He's a good. He's a he's a hell of an American. Yes. Um, a hero, really. Yeah. 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 So like okay. um, the Let's, girl in the fireplace. That that's where uh, David Tennant, Rose, and. Um, Mickey, that was the other one. They like go back to like 18th century France, and like it's like they're on they're on a ship, and they can't understand why it has like time portals into 18th century France, and it was for like Marie uh, Madame Madame uh, de Pompadour, and it was like about how like she was the girl in the fireplace and like was in love with the doctor, mm. and like she was the mistress to the king, and like the ship was trying to like get they didn't have the right parts which was like they were just trying to repair the ship any way they could and because the name of the ship was called Madame Pompadour they went back to 18th century France to like get her head so they could repower the ship but like that's not how it worked (laughs) and so they just like killed the whole crew and everything and then like so it was like them like David Tennant's character was like trying to like basically protect her and like I think he was also in love with her and then like people say like that was what the inspiration was for the girl who waited forever which was like Amy Pond mm. so like that like whenever I'm feeling like weird or sad um I, I will watch that episode and then like a couple times a week then well uh <laughs> not every week but um <laughs> but you know every once in a while I'll watch it and then um well, and, and, and that's another thing. Like, so I, I was I was reading a, a Reddit string about, you know, this infatuation, yeah. the, and it's a dynamic that, it, although, plays into the cyclical nature of the show mm-hmm. itself. But like, I, I'm glad I'm glad that they finally have flipped the script. Not that there's a male infatuated character with mm-hmm. the recent Doctor that I've been able to ascertain so far mm-hmm. as like an overt like yeah. oh I love I, I love you I can't be without you like yeah. please don't leave kind of thing yeah. and it's um, refreshing to say the least I mean it's you know because you can you can put so many different dynamics into play sure um, well that's one of the things that I've always really loved about you know the companion part of it is because like you know like it started out with like him and his granddaughter and then it you know changed to school teachers and all of that and everything but then like you get into like the newer series and it's like all of these companions are like in love with him but then like they realize that they're not in fact in love with him they're just in love with the idea of like being able to like disappear on a whim i am yeah absolutely yeah i I think it's i think it's a great premise and like then they just like build these beautiful friendships together and i I just like Mm find that like really nice well and in the later series i do that i do think it does uh kind of end somewhat at friendship insofar as mm-hmm. like you know, mutual respect and reverence because like you know you, you do see with the doctors a little bit of arrogance at, at first with oh, their absolutely. companions and they're just like oh i'm a time lord i do this that and the third mm-hmm. and then they then their companions end up hanging or not, not hanging but like they're like hanging in there and like yeah. being uh valuable to them and yeah. or, you know or even essential uh, to whatever story arc or you mm-hmm. know that's playing out for that particular incarnation. Sure. Well, and I think also the point of the Doctor is to like be like he is selfish. Like that is that is the Doctor. Is the Doctor is a very selfish being, and mm. like they do what they want what for them. And like yes, they'll bring somebody along, but like how many Doctors have lost companions in like tragic ways because they right. just like and like then they. They're just like that's another life, whatever. I'll sure. find somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So that, that I mean, and you bring up an excellent point. At, at one point, do d- does the doctor lose touch with humanity and or regain it? And I think that happens mm-hmm. pretty frequently throughout the series, each them to varying degrees. You know, some are more detached, some are yeah. more involved. You know, it's. Well, I think that's what they tried to do in the 50th anniversary. Was they're like, mm. he, the doctor is this compassionate being, and like can like you know because like. You have that doctor who, like, no one knows about. Like, he doesn't even call him what he is because he's, like, this being who you don't want to acknowledge as a part of your past. Mm. And so then you, like, see in the in the 50th where it's, like, this is one doctor who can't forget. This is one doctor who forgets because he, he's, like, but, like, every cycle of their life is they're a different person. 
Yeah, and they bring their unique, their own unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's an important message overarching, which is that we are multifaceted. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to have just one part of ourselves and rely on just that is is short sighted. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it takes the you know, uh, antithesis that you usually see in the companion mm-hmm. um, you know, to draw that out and have that be that overarching lesson. Right. I guess you know. Yeah. Because even even the way that they deal on a micro and macro level with the issues throughout mm-hmm. their respective series really speaks to each doctor yeah. in its own way. So uh, where, where can we see you perform next? Um, you can see me perform at this open mic tonight. Uh, I, will also, I will be so signing up for this open mic too, it's true. <laughs> But this bike has already passed for our listeners, so the yes. next time, next time you're, they can so, go and see you on a grand old stage. So I run a weekly showcase at Zwickel House Brewing Company every Monday at 8 p.m. Um, you can see me there. I am doing reading the Bible with Dan on the 18th at Funhouse Lounge at 10 p.m. It's an awesome show, Ed Weber. Um, I don't really have right off the bat what my schedule is, but those are kind of up and coming dates. I'm doing something in Albany on Friday, but. I don't think anybody's gonna go to Albany, so Albany, Oregon, not yes. the not upstate New York. Yeah, Albany, yeah. Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing a riff competition show. Nice. Yeah, it's okay. by Soul Wit, so that'll be cool. Too. I think that starts at like eight PM. Well, and I'm and I'm sure you'll post on your Instagram, which we got earlier. Yes. Hey, yeah. th- uh, thanks so much for talking Doc with me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, had a good time. Cool. Love me some Doctor Who. Okay, now I can do the list. It's time for your water cooler fact. The BBC staple that is the show, Doctor Who, is the longest-running sci-fi series around the world and quite possibly the longest-running series on television that isn't in the soap opera category. Even if you break up <clears throat> even if you were to break up the show between its classic run and the newer series, it still sets records. The original series ran for 26 seasons and boasts 694 episodes, and on top of that, the revival has 13 seasons so far and 155 episodes, which is a relatively long run in and of itself, which I'm sure is only going to increase over time. And Doctor Who is still pumping out new content. Every few years, the show gets a refresher with a new Doctor, meaning that this show could stick around for the end of time. But what are some of the other heavy hitters in the sci-fi world? One could argue Star Trek is right up there with the longest run, but most nerds are eager to point out that the canon consists of several shows as opposed to Doctor Who, which maintained its original ongoing arc, just with different iterations of the Doctor and different actors. Here are the remaining top 10 sci-fi shows in terms of length of time originally aired. Coming in at number 2, we have the show Supernatural, which ran from 2005 to 2020 on The CW. Uh, spanning 15 seasons and totaling 327 episodes. At number three, we have The Twilight Zone, uh, which is broken up between the years 1959 to 63, 85 to 89, 02 to 03, and its most recent rendition, 2019 to 2020, spanning 11 seasons, totaling 284 episodes. In the number four slot, we have The X-Files. That ran from 1993 to 2002 with a reboot from 2016 to 18, Uh, That spans 11 seasons, totaling 218 episodes. Coming in at number 5, we have The Walking Dead. That's from the year 2010 to our present, uh, with 11 seasons totaling 177 episodes, including the full 11th season. Um, Number 6, we have American Horror Story. That's from 2011 till present, uh, running 11 seasons, totaling 123 episodes. At number 7, we have Smallville running from 2001 to 2011 on the WB. That was 10 seasons, totaling 217 episodes. At number 8, we have Stargate SG-1. That show ran from 1997 to 2007 uh, for 10 seasons, totaling 214 episodes. After that, we have at number 9, Mission Impossible, the television series, not the movies. That ran originally from 1966 to 1973, and then again from 88 to 1990. Uh, That boasts nine seasons, totaling 206 episodes. And then at number 10, we have The Outer Limits, 
Uh, that ran from 63 to 65, and then again from 95 to 2002 uh, for nine seasons, totaling 201 episodes. Uh, major thanks to the nerds over at CancelledSciFi.com for putting that list together and sifting through all that data. Uh, here are a few honorable mentions. Coming in at number 12, we have The Flash. Uh, that's 2014 to present on the CW. That has eight seasons, totaling 171 episodes. Uh, then we have Star Trek The Next Generation from 87 to 94. That had seven seasons, totaling 178 episodes, followed by another Star Trek series. That's Deep Space Nine. That ran from 93 to 99, uh, had seven seasons, and totaled 176 episodes. Uh, not to brag, but up next again, another Star Trek uh, is Voyager. That ran from 93 to 99 as well, totaling 172 episodes, spanning seven seasons. And coming in at number 20 was Futurama. That ran from 1999 to 2013, uh, totaling seven seasons and 140 episodes. Keep your ears peeled for future episodes on Star Trek, DS9, and Voyager. And if you listen to episode two of this podcast, you'll hear all about the next generation and episode three for a look into Futurama. Well, folks, it's time to power down the TARDIS and return to our regular flow of time. But what a journey it's been. I'd like to recognize my sources for this episode, the BBC, CancelledSciFi.com, Fandom.com, and of course my lovely wife and research partner, Amanda. Next week we take an in-depth look at Blade Runner, the Final Cut edition, with fellow comedian and tribe member Ben Levy. We met up at the Funhouse Lounge before the weekly Friday Midnight Mike, hosted by Noah Watson, to discuss our favorite scenes, plot holes, and Rutger Hauer's iconic speech at the end of the film. Thank you for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you next Tuesday from 8 to 9 a.m., only on Shady Pines Radio. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesdays. Starting at 10 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. At 11 a.m., Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien. The Blue Hour with Blue Adams at noon. The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy at 2 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beat Chef with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 6 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with your psychic friends with Oskin and Mags. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. And at 10 p.m., Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio. You're not who you are or what you are. But we've got two men in space. If we don't act now, we won't get them back alive. They will not return. What? Why not? It is unimportant now. We must get them back! We're there is really no point. They could never reach Earth now. Don't you care? Care? No. Why should I care? Because they're people and they're going to die! I do not understand you. There are people dying all over your world, yet you do not care about them. You will be wondering what has happened. Your astronomers must have just discovered a new planet. Is that not so? Yes, that's right. That is where we come from. It is called Mondas. Mondas? Mondas? But isn't that one of the ancient names for Earth? Yes. Eons ago, the planets were twins. Then we drifted away from you on a journey to the edge of space. Now we have returned. You were right, Doctor. But who or, or what are you? We are called Cybermen. Cybermen? Yes, Cybermen. We were exactly like you once, but our cybernetic scientists realized that our race was getting weak. Weak? How? Our lifespan was getting shorter, so our scientists and doctors devised spare parts for our bodies until we could be almost completely replaced. But that means you're not like us. You're robots. 
Our brains are just like yours, except that certain weaknesses have been removed. Weaknesses? What weaknesses? You call them emotions, do you not? But that's terrible. You, you mean you wouldn't care about someone in pain? There would be no need. We do not feel pain. But we do. That'll fix you. Europe will know there's an emergency here now. That was really most unfortunate, you should...